Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have a Bible, take it and meet me in Matthew chapter 13. Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 979 in that Bible. Going to take you back to your childhood for some of you, a very specific age group. For many of you, you might not know what this is, but there was a cartoon. I know who's young in this room. Called Pinky in the Brain from the early 90s. And uh, for some of you, this was part of your childhood. And for some of you, maybe it wasn't your childhood, but your kid's childhood. And some of you have never heard of it before ever. And that's okay. You don't need to know much. But this was a cartoon that ran. And it was about two characters called Pinky and the Brain. Pinky is the big mouse up here. The brain is the small one. And uh, they were laboratory rats. And they had unusual intelligence. And every time the show started, it started in the exact same way before it went into the theme song. And I'm just I'm just going to show you that very short clip here this morning. Gee, Ray, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. That's really all I wanted you to see. And if we played the whole theme song, it would be stuck in your head all day. And so I'm really doing you a favor by not playing that clip longer. And I would never think, let's look to early 90s animation for good points about the gospel, but there was a really good point in that gospel that's not that different from what we actually believe as Christ followers, that right now God is in the middle of this great plan to take over the world for the kingdom of God. He is on this great mission of healing and redemption where the world, which was hijacked by the devil and filled with evil and death and sickness and despair, God was not willing to let that remain that way. And so God is now on this plan to redeem it all. And so Jesus comes to redeem the world. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And now Jesus' part is done. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God because his work is finished. And God's great secret weapon to take over the world for the kingdom of God is now you and me. Yeah, woo is right. Some of us are saying he needs a better plan if that's what's going on. But God's heart and desire is to redeem and restore that which was lost to evil. And he is in the middle of this great plan of redemption. And like it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, you signed up to be a part of that plan to see the world transformed for Jesus. And so that is where we are going today. Let's take a look at our text. We're in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is teaching. We're starting in verse 31. He, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. 
So Jesus loves to take these stories, and, and parables are, are metaphors. They are symbolic stories that represent something else. And it gets tricky when you're trying to explain what is heaven like, what is God like, what is the kingdom like. Uh, it can be tricky because these are great, big, huge, spiritual, invisible, abstract concepts. And so when Jesus is teaching, he was a big fan of bringing them really down to earth and making them very, very simple by taking these stories. And we see this phrase all the time, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It's like yeast in the dough. It's like a net. It's like a pearl. And he would tell these stories that teach us things about God and teach us things about Jesus and teach us things about the kingdom and teach us about what heaven is like and teach us about how we should live our lives. And they do it just in a really simple, easy to understand, down-to-earth way. He doesn't come in, here's 87 points of my theological treaties on what heaven is like. He tells a story that you can remember, and and you can grasp the central point of that story. So he ties two of them here today, and we're just going to touch on both of them briefly. But it's about the nature of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's one of the main things that Jesus taught on when he was here on earth. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Because we know what earth is like. We live there. But what is the kingdom of heaven like? And for most people of Jesus' time, there was a view of of heaven that was very real. We believe in heaven. Heaven is the place where God lives. And most would have had an understanding that heaven is kind of up there. Uh, we don't really know. We can't see it. We understand that. It's a different realm. But heaven is up there. It is far off. It is where God lives. And, and we will go there someday. And in the Old Testament, you see these prayers of like saying things like, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Like, where you're in your far-off place, come down and touch earth. And when you read through the Psalms, there's these stories of God, although far off in heaven, uh, would sort of condescend himself to come and intervene in earth from time to time. And this is the understanding of what it is like. And I will throw out there, it's the understanding for a lot of Christians of what heaven is like as well. That heaven is up there, that heaven is far away. Heaven is something that we will experience later when we pass away or when the Lord returns, then we will enter into eternity. And that's a pretty common understanding of heaven. And it's not at all what Jesus taught about heaven. I'm going to blow your minds today. Some of you might get mad at me because I'm going to blow your minds so much. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. He called it the great invasion. And, and this is a great Christmas verse. I've preached this, this passage, this quote at Christmas before. That, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, little cute little baby in the manger. It's a beautiful, quiet scene. But no, this is an invasion. This is heaven invading earth to take it back. And C.S. Lewis had fought in World War I, and he had lived through World War II in England. And so he's using this picture of, you know, Jesus like a paratrooper almost, like dropping in behind enemy lines and taking back the land that was taken. And he says, this is what we are all called to be a part of. God wants this world back, and we are to be a part of this with him. And so this idea that heaven is far off, that heaven is distant, that heaven is other, is not actually what Jesus taught. When Jesus came to earth, his message overwhelmingly was, the kingdom of heaven is here. 
Heaven has just showed up on earth. God has come down in the flesh in Jesus. Heaven has come down to live among you. Heaven is now mixing with earth in a way that never has before. The kingdom of heaven is now here on earth. And that makes sense with Jesus, right? Because Jesus is, is God come down, and so that makes sense. But when he left, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you, and you are going to be doing what I did as heaven continues to move through this earth and take it over. The kingdom of heaven is now here, Jesus says, and heaven has invaded earth to redeem it and take it back, and you are God's secret weapon to help make that happen. The word kingdom in the English comes from an amalgamation of words, the king's domain. That's what the word kingdom literally means, where the king has domain, where people acknowledge the rule of the king and live under the king's law and live under the king's protection. Uh, that is what a kingdom is, in the literal or in the spiritual. Uh, that is what we mean when we say kingdom. And so the kingdom of heaven, up in heaven, uh, God is fully in control. God is completely uh, empowered there. He is waited on by angels. He is worshipped there as Lord. His will is done perfectly. But we know here on earth that is not the case. There is another kingdom at work, Scripture says. There is a kingdom of darkness at work, and this kingdom refuses to bow its knee to the lordship of God. And so there is conflict, and there is warfare, and, uh, and there's, uh, it's, you know, it's the world that we live in. We don't need to, to, I don't need to explain that that much, right? We look around, and we see sickness, and we see war, and we see death, and we see all of these things. So kingdoms are in conflict. There is not a, a perfect revelation of God's kingdom here on earth yet. But Jesus said, when I, starting when I came down, when God showed up on the earth, literally and physically, from that moment on, the kingdom of heaven has started to invade earth. And more and more as we go on, and more and more as time goes on, the desire of God is the kingdom of heaven would take over earth more and more. The earth would start to look more and more like heaven. And that's not at all what these people were expecting when Jesus came to earth. When Jesus came, the Roman Empire ruled the world. And it was a, it was a literal kingdom. It was not a spiritual kingdom. And they had armies, and they had borders, and they had laws, and they had kings, and they had warriors. And they were ruling the whole world, including Israel at that time. Israel was a conquered nation. The Jewish people were oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so their understanding at the time, as they read their Bible, and as they were praying for the the Savior to come, and as they were waiting on the Messiah, they read their Bible, and they saw passages that said things like, he's going to sit on David's throne. He will be a king just like David was. And for the Jewish people, David had been a thousand years earlier, but he had been a warrior prophet king. And he had won great victories with the sword, and he had established Israel's borders, and it was a time of prosperity. And so they got really excited by this idea that another David was coming. And so when the Messiah came, they were fully expecting he was going to look just like a traditional warrior king of the time. That he was going to come, he was going to kick out the Romans, he was going to reestablish the borders of Israel, he was going to establish peace and prosperity for the Jewish people in the land. This is fully what they were expecting, and it is not at all what they got when Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up and he began to say things like, love your enemy and love one another and the greatest commandment is love and put away the sword, that did not sound at all like a warrior king that they were expecting. Because as Jesus came and preached the kingdom of heaven is here, he was talking about a very different kind of kingdom. 
The kingdom of heaven coming wasn't going to look like a normal kingdom that they were expecting. It wasn't going to look like a literal throne and an army and borders and, and all of those types of things that you might normally expect when you hear the word kingdom. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And he's not saying literally there's nothing that you notice when the kingdom of God shows up. But he's saying it's not going to look the way you think it's going to look. It's not going to look like the warrior king. It's not going to look like a literal kingdom in Israel with borders. It's a different kind of kingdom. And then Jesus tells 87 parables about the kingdom of heaven is like to help us understand what he's talking about. Because it was such a strange and unusual idea. And so when Jesus leaves, he says... I, God the Son, am taken off. My job's done. I'm going back to heaven to enjoy my reward. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. God the Spirit will come. He's going to live inside you. And so now you are the borders of the kingdom of heaven. You bring the kingdom of heaven with you wherever you go. And where Jesus came and he brought us a revelation of heaven's love and heaven's peace and heaven's grace and heaven's power, the last stage of the great God plan is that we, his church, would go and do the same things that Jesus did. And that wherever we go, we represent the kingdom of heaven's love and grace and forgiveness and power. And that as we do that, the world more and more will be taken back and redeemed for Jesus who died for it. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray this way. Father, let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. Finish it. On earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven, God's will is perfectly done. In heaven, God's kingdom is perfectly established. Here on earth, the kingdoms are in conflict. Light and darkness are in conflict. It is not a perfect world yet. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, let heaven come down more. Let the kingdom come down more. Let earth look more like heaven. That is what we are to pray when he taught us how to pray, the, the prototypical prayer. When his disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus says, this is important. Pray, Father, as it is in heaven, let it be done on earth. As the kingdom is in heaven, let that kingdom come to earth. As your will is perfectly done in heaven, let your will be perfectly done on earth. Because when God's will is perfectly done on earth, earth is going to look a lot more like heaven. And so Jesus tells us that the kingdom is going to be different than we might have expected. It's not a literal kingdom. He says, this is a kingdom that's within you. And this is a kingdom that's slowly going to change the world. And our job as followers of Jesus, as heaven has come down to earth, and as we are called to be followers of the king of heaven, is that we start living now the values of heaven. We start living right now the ethics of heaven. We start living right now the priorities of heaven. And as we do that in our lives, heaven takes over earth a little bit more. And people see that in our lives and say, that is different. That is something I've never seen before. How do you forgive that person who did that to you? And an impact is made. And heaven takes back some ground that has been lost. Jesus uses a couple of pictures in today's text. The first is the mustard seed. And he says it's the tiniest of seeds. That's literally a mustard seed. I don't even know if you can see it on the screens. This little tiny seed in the palm of his hand that grows into this great big huge thing that even the birds can build their nests in. 
And Jesus says, this is what heaven is like. And sometimes when it comes to God, we're, we're looking for the big score all the time, right? What's the great, big, huge thing that we can do for the kingdom? And Jesus is saying in this picture, there are just little tiny things that we can do that grow into unimaginably big things that we might never understand. How many of us came to Jesus just because a Christian was kind to us or, or took some time to pray with us? Right? How many of our lives have been impacted because somebody did something that maybe wasn't a huge thing, but you remember it 15 years later because it just impacted your life. It was something you needed in that moment. Little things in the kingdom of God can grow into huge things. And the whole kingdom itself, when you think about Christianity today, versus where it was when Jesus was walking the earth, it was one guy followed by 12 guys that is now about a billion people around the earth. The kingdom has slowly spread and grown. It was the tiniest of seeds to start, but it grew into this huge, glorious thing. And that is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. We do these things that scripture calls us to do, and it might not feel like much, and it might not look like it's accomplishing much, and yet God has the ability to take these things and multiply them into huge impact in people's lives. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. He also says it's like yeast. And this was the main one I wanted to talk about today. And he uses this picture of, it's like yeast in 60 pounds of flour. I've never seen 60 pounds of flour. Sounds like a lot to have in your kitchen on your counter. But the proportion of yeast to flour is small, right? You don't have 60 pounds of flour and add 60 pounds of yeast. It's a small amount, and it works its way through everything. So it's the same sort of picture. A little bit goes a long way in the kingdom of God. The same picture as the mustard seed. But there's another part to this, because it says the kingdom is like a woman who took a little bit of yeast and works its way through all the dough, right? And you have to do that. You don't just leave the yeast on one side, or one side of your bread will go up and the other stays flat. So you, it's got to be worked through, and it's a picture of the kingdom of heaven that I love. Because it means that heaven came down, Jesus is wanting the earth to look more like heaven, and so our job is to live out heaven now. And as we do that, we are the yeast that is working its way through the dough. And as we live out heaven now, heaven's values, heaven's priorities, heaven's gospel will work its way through the whole dough of the world. That's the picture, is that we will be this impact that works its way through the whole world. And as we are worked through the dough, the dough, the world, will start to look more like heaven as we start living out heaven now. So as we think of this picture, um, again, just looking at the time when Jesus lived, the Roman Empire was the dominant empire in the world at the time. They ruled most of the civilized world, and they were hugely successful at conquest, and they were driven, and they were literally trying to take over the world. And they had huge armies, and they were powerful, and they had technology, and they had money. Uh, so they were able to do this, and they were just taking over every city, every nation, every territory, every people that they could. And so this is the world that that Jesus lives in, and this is the world that the apostles lived in, where the Romans ruled the known world at the time. And when they would take over a territory, it wasn't like they were super sensitive of like, oh, we're really going to respect your culture that we just took over. Like, no, they went in, and their goal was, we're going to make you Roman. 
And so they would go into a territory that knew nothing about Rome. They would conquer it, and they would start building Roman buildings, and they would start implementing Roman policies, and they would start celebrating Roman art. And they were trying to create one unified culture that looked like Rome everywhere. And so they would put in Roman government, and they would put in Roman law, and they would teach Roman values and Roman cultural principles. And their goal was, we are going to make you Roman. And again, that's not actually that different than the kingdom of heaven taking over the world. And the kingdom of heaven, we would say, of course, respects cultures and isn't trying to take anyone's uh, you know, cultural identity away. But it's that as the kingdom of heaven spreads through this earth, that we would demonstrate heaven's law, heaven's values, heaven's priorities, heaven's ethics. And as we do that, the world would look more like heaven. The yeast would work its way through the dough, and heaven would spread through our lives. And so just practically then, what does this look like? What can this look like? As we consider, okay, so we're supposed to live like heaven. And again, the basic principle is we live like heaven now. Whatever we see happening in heaven in scripture, uh, anything that we are hoping for in heaven in scripture or in our own lives, we live that out right now. So as a few examples, is there any loneliness in heaven? Is anyone left out? That doesn't sound like heaven, right? If, if this is the perfect place, if this is the place where God fully dwells and we are all united perfectly, then no, there's no loneliness in heaven. Okay, so our job as followers of Jesus is to remove loneliness everywhere we see it in our lives. We are to live out that value now. So we open our homes and we open our tables and we open our social circles so that wherever we see loneliness, we seek to wipe it out in our lives. There should never be anybody in a church who feels lonely. There should never be anybody connected to a Christian who feels lonely because we should be the ones to bring them in. If there's no loneliness in heaven, then we start living out that value of the kingdom now here on earth. And as we do that, lives get impacted. As we do that, heaven starts to take over earth a little bit more. Is there any conflict in heaven? Is there any violence in heaven? No, of course not. It's overwhelmingly clear in Scripture that heaven is a place where there is perfect peace, where there is perfect unity. Okay, so if that is the case, then we start living out heaven's peace now. This is part of even the peacemaking teaching from a couple of months ago, that we start living out that peace now. And as we live out that peace now, we show the rest of the world what heaven's peace looks like, and we impact the world. And so that's why Jesus says, be a peacemaker. So we start living out our peacemaker calling now. We don't wait till heaven to, to expect that peace. We start to live that out and be a force for peace right now here on earth. And if we have this mentality that says heaven is later, we aren't ever going to do that. If it's just something we're going to look forward to one day, because Jesus said, no, heaven has already started for those of us who follow Jesus. Eternal life doesn't mean later life. Eternal life means life that doesn't end. It started already the day that we said yes to Jesus. Our heavenly life has begun. And so we start living out heaven's peace now. Is there any hurt in heaven? Is there any sadness in heaven? Are there any tears in heaven? 
No, Scripture says that's the place where every tear is wiped away. That's a place where we are comforted completely. So we are going to start living that out now. And where there is hurt and where there is sadness around us, we as followers of Jesus rush to that place to bring comfort where there is hurt and where there is sadness. We go there and we start living out heaven's value of the kingdom now. Is there any sickness in heaven? I hope not. That sounds terrible. And sickness is a bit trickier on this list because we obviously can't control sickness a whole lot. But one of the things I'm just so provoked these days just in my heart about sickness is just how, how many of us, including myself, how many Christians just kind of are okay with sickness and we pray against it, but we take on this attitude that says, well, that's my cross to bear or that's just what I deserve or that's just, you know, just something that you got to go through in this life and and sickness is part of it for all of us, obviously, but I just don't ever want us to be okay with sickness. Like, if Satan's going to afflict us with sickness, let's at least make him miserable while he does it, right? Like, let's, let's worship and pray. Like, let's not ever just give up that ground. Let's not just let him have it and go, well, I'm just going to live with it. And, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody. And, and even just things like I'm learning through my kids as my kids are starting to get older. We pray together at night. And somewhere along the way, uh, my daughter Kaylee uh, started to pray for me. And it's something I've honestly never prayed for. And that's I have allergies. Uh, and they're mild. They're not, you know, they're not life or death. But I'm allergic to grass. I'm allergic to cats. I'm allergic to latex and a couple other things. And so along the way, Kaylee started to pray Dear Jesus, please make sure Daddy's not allergic to these things anymore. And I've never prayed that. Like, it just, it never occurred to me to pray that. Because allergies are just one of those things where you're like, oh, it's not life and death. Like, I, it's annoying, but I can live through it. I've prayed sometimes that the symptoms would go away if they're bad. But I've never prayed that they would just be eliminated altogether. But why wouldn't we pray that if we believe there's a God in heaven who heals? Scripture says that when Jesus walked the earth, he healed every disease that he saw. And I don't understand the how and why and the theology of, of why sometimes we get healed and sometimes we don't. But my goodness, if Jesus did that and he said the kingdom is now here and one of the marks of that kingdom was that he healed every disease, I just have to believe we should see healing more than we do. And why don't we just go for that then? Right? Do we have the faith where we can just declare war on sickness? And not just the big ones as much as we do declare war on that, but even just the little stuff. Why are we giving up that ground to the enemy so easily? If there's no sickness in heaven, let's start praying into that now. That as heaven invades earth, we would see more heat. Will you pray that with me? Like, I'm praying that for our church, just in general. That this would be a place where we see healings happen. Because when you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, they're in there all the time. And so I hope you'll join me in that. Is there any anger in heaven? It's a place of peace, right? It's, it's just a place where that just can't exist. And so if there's no anger in heaven, and if the kingdom of heaven has come near, let's start living that out now. Let's live out that peace now. And I know some like to look at scripture and, and try to justify anger. Um, it's typically angry people who do that. It's not usually the really calm person who's trying to do that. But there's one scripture in Ephesians that says, in your anger, do not sin. And people like to go, aha, see, it's not a sin to be angry. Uh, in your anger, do not sin means I can be angry without sinning. And first of all, anger is often sinful, to be clear. It's, it can be judgmental and it can be selfish. But the second part of that verse that they never want to talk about is, in your anger, do not sin, so get rid of your anger before the sun goes down. 
Because your anger leads to sin if you hold on to it. And so the overwhelming message of the New Testament is get rid of your anger quickly. And, and let's not use that Ephesians verse to justify that. If, if there is no anger in heaven, let's start living that now. Let's work on releasing that anger. Is there any hatred in heaven? Of course not. It's the place of perfect love. So we're going to live out heaven's love now. And we're going to stand up against any hate that we see. We are going to be a force for God's love here on earth because we're going to start living out that value of the kingdom now. Is there any unforgiveness in heaven? Is there anyone on one side of the throne room holding a grudge against someone on the other side? It's going to be hard to avoid people in heaven when you're just in God's presence all the time. And so there's no unforgiveness in heaven, then let's start living that out now. And let's let the world see what that can look like when we are a people of forgiveness. And scripture says we have been forgiven, and so we need to forgive. So let's start living out that value of the kingdom now. Is there any division in heaven at all? Is there any disunity No, we are united in heaven under the banner that says Jesus is Lord. We are united with one plan and one purpose. There is no church fights in heaven. There's no cultural fights in heaven. We are united perfectly. Okay, so let's live out that unity now. We are going to start living out heaven's value of unity right now. And we are going to show the world what that looks like. That we can disagree and still love each other. That that if someone doesn't like something I do or I don't like something you do, we don't have to storm out the door and cut off the relationship. We can love each other even in disagreement, and we're going to show the world what unity looks like. Is there any poverty in heaven? If there's not, then let's start fighting against that now. Let's start living out heaven's value of generosity and sacrifice now. So we can't eliminate it ourselves, obviously, but we can do something now to live out heaven's value of love and generosity. We don't have to wait for heaven for these things to completely go away. We can start living that out in the kingdom now. Is there any injustice in heaven in any way? Any racial injustice? Any sexual injustice? Any discrimination? If there's not, then let's start living that out now. We will live out that value of the kingdom here on earth. We will stand up against injustice when we see it. We will start being a force for that here on this earth. Is there any sin in heaven? It's the place of God's perfect holiness. There will be no sin there, so let's start living out God's holiness now. We're not just going to wait for that one day, and we understand that nobody does this perfectly, but we are going to start living that out today. Is anyone separated from Jesus in heaven? That's the place where we see him face to face. That's the place where we are brought back perfectly into relationship with him. We get tastes of that now. That's where it will be literal. That's where it will be face to face. And so we live that out now, that we have been reconciled with God, but not just that. There is a world that needs to hear that message. And so we live out not just that personally, but we share that message with the world that God loves you and he is here to be present in your life. He is here to forgive your sins. He is here to bring you back to him. He is available for you if you will receive him. We start living out that value of the kingdom now. Last one, is Jesus Lord of heaven? That's not a trick question. The answer is yes. And so if Jesus is Lord of heaven, then we start living out that value now. We start living out his lordship now. 
We start following after him now. We start making his priorities our priorities. We look at the way he taught us to live, and we take that awfully seriously. And we say, we are going to live out that value of the kingdom now. We don't wait till one day bow our knee to Jesus. We bow our knee to Jesus here and now. The reason we do worship up here on a Sunday mornings is not tradition, and it's not even just because the Bible tells us to. It's because heaven is a worship service. That's a huge part of what we will do. And any time in Scripture, Old or New Testament, when someone encounters God face to face, they can do nothing but fall on their face and worship him. His glory is so intense that people just fall down and give him the glory. And when you read the book of Revelation of what's going on around the throne right now, there are angels and archangels and elders and every tribe and every tongue and every nation, and they are just singing songs of glory to the Lamb of God because he is worthy of that glory. When you're in his presence, you can't help but worship him. And so we are going to start living out some of that worship now. And of course, we'll experience it on a whole new level in the other life when we either pass away or Jesus returns. But we live out that value of worship now because he's still worthy now. And we don't need to wait to heaven to give him extravagant worship. He is worthy of extravagant worship even today, even this morning. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. There's other examples I could go on and on, but you get the gist, obviously, of, of what I'm getting at. That we don't wait to one day do these things. We don't just say, okay, Lord, you know, one day all injustice will be swallowed up. That is true, but we don't just wait for that. We say, okay, so what, where is there injustice in my life that I can step into to help push back? We don't just say, one day I will be perfectly holy and I won't sin anymore. We say, okay, where is there sin in my life? Where can I start living out God's holiness now? Where is there poverty that I can step into? Where is there hurt that I can help comfort? Where is there unforgiveness that I can start living out the kingdom value of forgiveness now? Because Jesus said the kingdom has already started for us. And there's a whole other level that we will experience one day, but it's already started now. We don't wait for heaven to start. For us, heaven is just going to keep going, and there'll be a boost at some point when we get there literally. But heaven has already started for us. And we get a taste of it now here on earth. We get to experience God's presence. We get glimpses of what heaven is like. We can feel that peace. We can feel that joy. We, we get a taste of it today. And there will be more, much more to come. But as we think about what it is to follow Jesus and, and what heaven is like, and we, we look at this parable that, that heaven is something that can grow into something very big from something very small, that heaven is something that, like a woman kneading yeast into flour, it's something that is working its way through the world. The kingdom of heaven has come, and it, like yeast, it is being worked through the dough of this world, and that's us. We are that yeast. And as we start living out heaven now, the kingdom of darkness starts to get pushed back. The kingdom of darkness starts to get challenged. The world more and more gets redeemed a little bit for the king of kings. And we start to see heaven more and more. And we get to see the earth look more and more like heaven. And one day it will all be done and we will rejoice in that. But our job in the meantime is to start living like heaven now. The kingdom has come now. And so we start living out the kingdom's values now. If you have any questions about this, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And I'd love to chat with you more about this and grab a coffee or whatever else. 
One more scripture as we wrap up. It's a pretty mind-blowing scripture. It blows my mind every time. It's Ephesians 3.10. It says that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's plan as he wants to demonstrate his wisdom, his power, his glory to the world, and not just the world, to the demonic realm, to the angelic realm, to the spiritual realm. God's great big secret weapon, again, to show the world his glory is you and me. We're it. Jesus is done. He's sitting down. We are his plan to demonstrate his glory to the world. And we do that when we start forgiving the way he tells us to forgive, when we start loving the way he tells us to love, when we start serving the way he tells us to serve, when we start living out heaven's values, heaven takes over earth through us. And the world gets to look at the church and say, there is something different about these people. What is marking them as different? And we say, we've been saved by Jesus and we are living out what our heaven is going to look like. We're starting to do that now. We're not waiting 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or however many years. We're living out heaven now. And as we do that, the world will more and more start to be redeemed. Remember the gospel of Pinky and the Brain. What do you want to do today? Just take over the world. To see Jesus redeem what he died to redeem. We are the secret weapon in the last part of this plan. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that as you continue to speak to us by your spirit today and tomorrow and in the days to come you'll show us what that looks like we pray lord that uh, every one of us there is an application for this and we need you to show us what that is and lord because heaven has already started for us we want to worship you as if we were there and so just help us to see you right now as we close in worship Help us to see your glory. Help us to encounter your presence. Help us to give you the worship that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our worship, and we honor you as Lord. And as we seek to know you better and understand your ways better, Holy Spirit, empower us to live in the way that you want us to live. Help us to live out the values of your kingdom and the love of your kingdom, the peace and the joy of your kingdom, the generosity of your kingdom. Help us to see the opportunities, open our eyes to show us what we need to do, and help us to live out that now, Lord, because your kingdom has come already. And help us to be that yeast that helps see your kingdom work its way through the world around us as we seek to glorify you and walk in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of us will be up here if you want to pray. Other than that, God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday.